Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. Always special on the first Monday of a major. Novak Djokovic has won the 2020 Australian Open. It's his 17th major title, his record 8th Aussie Open title. He beat Dominic Team in five sets, and I'm here to bring you the most detailed breakdown of that match on the internet. It was, a, it was a fun one, an interesting one. The quality wasn't as high as some of the previous major finals we've seen, certainly not as high as Medvedev Nadal at the U.S. Open final, not as high as Djokovic Federer at the Wimbledon final, but we have been treated to three consecutive five-set finals. And uh, there, one thing that you can't say about that match, this match um, that we just witnessed is that it doesn't leave us with a lot of things to talk about. There were some controversies that came out of it, a time violation that Djokovic received at the end of the second set, a medical timeout that Djokovic took at the end of the third set. I'll address those things later because uh, as, I, as I always do, priority to what, in my opinion, are the most important things, which is what happened during the points. <laughs> and that's what I mostly want to talk about. My overarching what I want to preface my analysis with is this. I think that the first part of the match, the first two sets, were tactical. I think the next three sets were no longer tactical and simply came down to mental and physical resilience. At a certain point, Djokovic had a lack of physical ability and physical resilience. Um, and then by the end, he had a surplus of it. And Dominic Team was lacking in in um, the mental and physical um, endurance, I would say, to compete in the match, to win the match, not to compete. He certainly did compete. But uh, this match really changed throughout. And... They're, they're hit a certain point in the match where it was really about physical and and mental capabilities, and it was no longer tactical. I'll address both parts of the match and what I saw. This is your thumbnail. Novak Djokovic looking to his team and pounding his chest where his heart is because it took, uh, it took heart for him to claw out of the hole that he was in. It really looked like he was going to lose. Uh, in the third set and in the beginning of the fourth set. He didn't immediately have his energy back. Took heart. It also took um, perfectly legal intervention from fluids and foods that he was stuffing down his throat at every single changeover, which every player has the right to do. Uh, but let's talk about how this match started. In the first set, it was not how I thought it was going to go because Djokovic found a lot of success, but not how I thought he would find a lot of success. I thought that the way he would neutralize team's power is with variety, keeping team off balance, not letting him get in rhythm. That's not how he neutralized team's power at the start. It wasn't variety. It was sheer pace and taking time away. Djokovic was clobbering every ball, incredibly aggressive, and primarily going hard to the team backhand. The team forehand through the years has become more and more compact, more and more well-equipped to handle faster surfaces and team can actually get his power off relatively quickly. The backhand is still a long swing. It's a big backswing. It takes him a while to get through the hitting zone. And if you take away all the time on the backhand side, team really can't be powerful from that side. In the early stages, team was not slicing the ball. Everything was being hit through the court. And the rallies were being played at lightning pace. Lightning. That was because of Djokovic's court position. It was because of how hard both players were hitting the ball. But that's Djokovic's game. And he feasted early on. 
and it looked like he really might run away with it. But what happened in the first set is Djokovic at 4-2 serving played a really loose game. Double fault, two forehand errors, didn't make team earn it, gave him the break back. And suddenly they were on serve. But it completely changed the way Djokovic was playing. And I think Novak changed his mind and made a conscious decision that that game was unacceptable. And he really reeled back his aggression. He did not stick with what he was doing to start the match. I watched the press conference after, to my dismay, nobody asked Djokovic about this. Unfortunately, there are not enough tactical questions that are asked at press conferences. I think that most people who watch this channel would agree with that. Uh, because if you watch this, you're interested in this. Uh, but th those questions weren't asked, unfortunately. So I don't know... If um, I don't know if Djokovic made a conscious decision to start being more defensive uh, because he didn't like that he made too many errors and double faults at 4-2. I think there might have been two double faults in that game, either one or two. Um, anyway, he gives the break back and suddenly he gets defensive again. And by getting defensive, by playing safer, more margin, that means more willing to move back, uh, take a defensive court position, means more willing to to put more topspin, especially in the backhand, on the backhand side, put more topspin, play a little bit safer, more cross-court. He gives team time. So the way the match started, the match never got like that ever again. And to be quite frank, Djokovic never found that level again for the rest of the match. I found it to be an astronomical level. I, th I think that if Djokovic stuck with it, I think that that was the most success he had against team in the entire match was early in the first set. And I'm surprised he got away from it, but he did. Um, now, here's the thing. 4-5, team is serving. The match is starting to look a little bit more even, but Djokovic is still getting the better of the play. Even when Novak changes the game plan, he is still, on his service games, finding a lot of offense from his serve. And on team service games, returning every serve. Team getting nothing off of his serve. And still really digging in to every team service game. Every game went to deuce in the entire first set on team serve. And Djokovic actually does find success using variety. So I want to highlight... And I'll have screenshots momentarily, but I want to highlight in the first set um, the game played at 4-5. Team missed a forehand off of a Djokovic slice. Then team missed a backhand down the line off the first ball. Poor shot selection by Dominic Team. All of a sudden, it's love 30. Djokovic missed a return. 1530. Um, now it's 30 all. I think I missed a point in my notes. 30 all, short angle return by Djokovic, draws an error. Again, first ball error by team. Now it's 30 40. Team actually saves the break point. Djokovic gets passive. He's defending. Um, he gets a look at a pass, actually. So Djokovic, again, it's a different game plan. Gets defensive, puts up a wall. Gets a look at a pass, misses the pass. Team goes to the net. He saves break point. It's deuce. And um, here's the point at deuce I want to show you. Oh, wait. Great backhand variation on backhand. Um, oh, actually, team, miss, makes, uh, team wins the initial deuce point. But then he misses a forehand on add-in. Now at deuce, I want to show you this point because this is what I was talking about before the match. And on one of the biggest points in the first set, Djokovic's variety actually does draw the error. And what I was looking for actually does come to fruition late in the first set. Again, 4-5, Dominic team is serving. It is deuce. This is on the heels of a very long rally. Uh, so we might get some tired footwork here. But team... Uh, excuse me, Djokovic hits an inside-out forehand. 
but it's not a normal inside-out forehand. It's got a lot of topspin and a lot of height on the ball. Net clearance. Loopy. It's also got some angle to it. But team, look where he's standing now. In front of the Melbourne logo. But because Djokovic puts so much height and topspin on this ball, team has to retreat to get it into his strike zone. Now he's behind the Melbourne logo. Here's where the variation comes into play. Team goes cross-court with this backhand. Now, on Djokovic's next backhand cross-court, same spot, it's still cross-court, but instead of having a lot of topspin and a lot of height, it's flat and it's got no height. This is variation. Now, team doesn't get his feet up to the next backhand. You see him have to kind of scrape the ball off the ground, doesn't quite get to the spot, and he misses the backhand slice down the line into the net. There it is. So Djokovic gets the break point, gets the set point, because he goes high loopy, pushing team back, and now he goes low and flat, and team can't get up to the ball. That's how to disrupt power. Neither of those balls were high risk by Djokovic, uh, but both of them put a lot of pressure on team and took away his power. Team couldn't even hit over the second ball. He had to lunge forward and slice it. On the break point, team double faults. So there's the first set, six for Djokovic. But you started to see the tactics shift. In the first set, team had in the beginning of the first set, team had no time. By the end of the second set, suddenly team had time. Team finds himself even more time in the second set. He goes to the backhand slice more often. And we'll see that late in the set. Um, I'm going to show you where it really comes up big. But for the most part, team, how do you slow down the rally? Make it slower. Slow it down. Give yourself time. Part of that is to take pace off your own shot. And team did that with the backhand slice. But the tactics were much better for team, for team to be successful. They were much better in the latter stages of the first set and the beginning of the second set. Um, I'm just trying to find what I'm looking for here. All right. Now, even though Djokovic is playing very defensively in the second set, and even though team has time, and apologies for the delay there, I just need to get things together. Um, despite that, Djokovic could still find success um, by really finding team's backhand, which he was doing a great job of and hoping for errors from that side when he finds the backhand. And that was happening for Djokovic in the second set. So even though Team was able to load up his power, even though he had time, it was the same kind of tactics that saw Team winning four out of the last five matches where it was on Team's racket. And he was threatening Djokovic with massive forehands and hitting him off the court at times. Even though all that was happening... Djokovic was still finding some success because he, the, the, the team backhand was just not firing, especially down the line. So team goes, uh, or team is up a break early in the second set, but loses it. This is deuce. And on a first ball, team goes down the line, misses the backhand. Next point, add out. Look at this neutral ball. Backhand cross-court by Djokovic. It's a long rally, and team bails out. Misses the down-the-line backhand. It's not even close. Team did not have that down-the-line backhand. And what was Djokovic doing? I'm going to be more steady. I'm going to be more patient. Because I'll, I'll sit here all day. Cross-court, backhand-to-backhand rally. What are you going to do about it? Team didn't have that down-the-line backhand to hurt Djokovic. That was a major issue for Domi in this match.
if you go back and, and look at the World Tour final match, wait, World Tour final? What am I talking? They got rid of that. If you if you look at the um, ATP finals match, team had that down the line backhand firing. Djokovic couldn't be so comfortable rallying cross court with the backhand, or even attacking teams uh, teams backhand with uh, his inside out forehand. But in, in this match, Djokovic could be very comfortable. Team makes a great adjustment at the end of the second set. He he digs in. He digs his teeth in. And what he does, he still doesn't want to rally cross court backhand to backhand with Djokovic. But look, he goes to the slice. He slices it down the line to break the pattern. Djokovic goes down the line. Again, team slices it cross court. And now it's Djokovic bailing out of the rally. This is a drop shot attempt by Novak. He hits the net on this drop shot attempt. It's 15-40 at 4-all, and team gets the break. Team's able to serve it out, and he wins the second set. Team didn't need to pull the trigger on all these backhand down the lines. He continued to pull the trigger. He would. He's better served to use variety cross-court and wait for a chance to run around his forehand. That's what he figured out at the end of the second set, where he really upped the energy, really pushed forward, and found a way past Djokovic by lowering the risk that he was taking on his backhand. And Djokovic at this point was still taking, uh, taking a defensive posture. This is the point in the match where, as I said at the top, it was no longer tactical. It was no longer about technique and strengths and weaknesses and abilities on how well they can, they can hit a tennis ball. It just wasn't about that anymore. It became about physical and mental resilience. Djokovic loses all of his energy in the third set. He had none. He had no legs. He could not move side to side. He could not accelerate on his serve. He could not hit a big forehand. He could not play a long rally. He had absolutely nothing. Team does well. Plays a solid set. He wins at 6-2. Djokovic takes a medical timeout at the end of the third set. Um, and um, I guess I glossed over, by the way. I glossed over the uh, when, when team broke Djokovic in the second set. I'm going back now. I glossed over that he got a time violation. I'll talk about it later. But he was rattled by the time violation. He played a terrible forehand, 30-40 on set point. Uh, a terrible forehand. I mean, it was like it was one of his worst of the match, which to me, clearly, he was uh, a little bit bothered by the time violation. He also might have been starting to feel the, the physical collapse that was about to ensue that ensued in the third set. The third set is not even worth talking about because that's how terrible and hopeless Djokovic was in the third set. Hopeless. A big point in the fourth set was at 1-2, Djokovic serving, facing break point. Still didn't have much energy. Uh, he started hitting some big forehands early in the fourth set. But the serve was just nothing. He got nothing from the serve at this point in the third and early on in the fourth set. In the first set, in the first two sets, Djokovic's serve was pretty big. And it will become big for him in this match once again. But again, team has a break point and one of the big turning points in the match, one of the ways, one of the points that I circle where team could have won the match if it could have uh, won the match if it had gone differently is a serve and volley at 30-40 at 1-2 in the fourth set, which was successful from Djokovic. Mind you, Novak was not very good at the net in this match. It's not that he was missing tons of volleys. He just wasn't going to the net in this match. He ser he had two big serving volleys in this match uh, on in big moments. But for the most part, he just wasn't going to the net. Kind of allergic to the net, honestly. I think tons of opportunities he had to go to the net and wasn't. Was Djokovic too defensive in this match? Yeah, I think so. I think he was way too defensive. And I think if Dominic Thiem played his best, 
team would have won. Really confident in saying that. And I hadn't thought about it until now. But if team brought his A-level, Djokovic was too defensive. After the, after the beginning of the first set. If team had his best shot making, like he did at the ATP Finals, team would have won the match. The key is that, well, I'll get, I'll get to it later. Um, so where was I? Okay, so Djokovic has a successful serve and volley and holds at 1-2. After that game, you started to see Djokovic get his energy back. Okay, now we have a match. Because third set, beginning of the fourth set, it's like, what is wrong with Djokovic? Suddenly, suddenly he can't play. He's got no legs. Middle of the fourth set, he gets his legs back. Okay, great. Now it's a match again. Now we can play tennis again. And team at 3-4 plays an extremely and incredibly regretful game. Here is 15-love. Here's the volley Dominic had. It's an easy forehand volley. He's got most of the court to work with. He should have put it away. He misses it. It hits the tape. Now let me find for you um, the rest of this game because I charted it. This is 3-4 in the fourth set. Okay, so team misses the volley at 15-love. 15-all. Djokovic hits a strong cross-court return. Um, and team misses a forehand off the first ball. It was a, it was a hard return, but team still should have made it. He didn't have a lot of time. He was rushed. So you got to play safe. And he didn't play with enough margin. It hit the tape. Um, then at 15.30, he double faulted. 15.40, double break point. Um, team saves the first break point. Slice serve out wide forehand, winner behind it. Then at 30.40, team misses the first ball. Again, on his forehand. And Djokovic didn't hit a very strong return. It was just a naked, unforced error. Nothing challenging uh, about the forehand that he missed. Djokovic, to his credit, at 5-3, serving for the fourth set. Not, not a single neutral rally, because that's how well Djokovic served, slash team didn't return well enough. So not a single neutral rally was played. And Djokovic was able to easily close it out and go into the fifth set. The prevailing themes in this fifth set was that Djokovic wasn't going to miss. He had his movement. He had his legs. He had his defense. Uh, he was going. He was going to, in the biggest, in the biggest moments of the match, um, he wasn't going to miss. He was going to make team earn everything. He was going to make team hit backhands or at least make team spend the exert the energy to run around the backhand and to try to hit forehands. But now we have someone in Djokovic who's serving really well and very willing to do a lot of running and defending. And team is misfiring on too many balls. He's missing too many forehands. He's missing too many backhands. He is not willing to hang in the rallies. He was not the more consistent player. Who won the fifth set? The more consistent player won the fifth set. There's no if, ands, or buts. And that's what I said before the match, that when team is tired and when the pressure is on, he is so much more likely to miss a ball. And he was. That is what happened. Not to pat myself on the back. That's not my intention. I'm just saying um, that is what happened. Um, I was probably, well, I won't get into it. Um, okay, the break comes at one all in the fifth set. Here's an example. I don't think team, I don't think team was 100% physically by the end of this. How could he be? I, I mean, Man, he, he spent hours and hours and hours on court. Now we were three and a half hours um, into the final. He had an entire fifth set to play. Djokovic was suddenly fresh. Team 
is on the biggest stage of of his career, at least tied with with the biggest stage of his career because he'd be, he's been in major finals. But at the end of the day, these rallies are getting long and physical, and team was not up to the task. Here's a big point: one all, thirty all, and team misses this forehand. What should be apparent to you by by just looking at this is there's not enough space between the ball and team's body. This cross court backhand by Djokovic. Um, is pretty strong, and but it, it forces an error by team because team doesn't quite run around it. And, and a 100% fresh Dominic team has sharper footwork, gets in the right position, and then he's less likely to miss that ball. When, when team's forehand is misfiring, it's usually, and this isn't unique to team, it's usually because his, foot, his feet aren't in the right position. I don't even know. I mean, that's almost a useless piece of commentary by me because that's true about Federer. That is true about Djokovic. Sometimes with Nadal, it's more mental when he misses forehands, but that's besides that's besides the point. Most players, it's about footwork. Um, By the way, on the next point, so 30-40 at one all, another forehand error from team. So, like, when you think about it, if you look at this game at one all when Djokovic gets the break, there's no winners off Djokovic's racket. I'm not sure he forced an error. Let's see. First ball, long rally, missed backhand down the line by team. Second point, um, team won it. Went to the net, Djokovic missed the pass. 15 all, team hit an ace. Now he's up 30-15. 30-15, missed a wide open forehand off his serve. Team did. I remember this, and this is an important forehand. Wow. Team hits a huge serve, has Djokovic guessing the wrong way, misses the forehand. 30 all, I showed you the screenshot. That was the inside out forehand. 30-40, another error by team. Guys, that's four errors. That's the game. Four errors. That's why Djokovic won. Uh, Team almost broke back at 1-2. Missed a forehand. On uh, 30-40, missed another forehand. On on add-out, Djokovic actually serve and volleys again on another big point, and and it's successful. Uh, Then he plays a great point. Djokovic's most impressive play of the match might have been at deuce. He plays a really nice drop shot. On, on the backhand side, and team just misses the big, uh, or the dig, rather, misses it long. Add in, backhand long from team. Error. If you look at how this match went, biggest points of the match, team was the one to miss, not Djokovic. Uh, pretty simple. Uh, again, I, I don't think, I, I don't think it was, it was tactical. I think it was mental and physical. That's why team was missing. Willingness to stay in rallies and and belief in in his again, it's always tied together when it comes to grinding. Mental and physical, they're connected. You cannot separate the two. If you are confident in your legs, and you have a really strong ability to suffer, um, you can stay in rallies longer and remain errorless. I want to I want to give you an example here. If David Ferrer was out of shape. He could not play like David Ferrer. You cannot be a grinder. You cannot play long rallies if you're out of shape. So it doesn't matter how willing you are mentally to stay in rallies and how willing to suffer you are because it's not going to work. Now, if you're in shape and not willing to push your, your fitness to the brink with disciplined shot selection and willingness to suffer, then, well, it doesn't matter you're in shape because... You're bailing out of rallies anyway. In this case, I think team was exhausted, not 100% physically and mentally. Maybe there's nothing he can do, but I just don't think he's there yet. I don't think he's ready to suffer to the extent that Djokovic and Nadal did in the 2012 Australian Open final. That's why the big three, and I think the big four, I think Murray too, that's the edge that they have mentally over everyone else's. Among other things is the way we saw we see especially um 
I think Fetter doesn't have to do it as much, but especially the three outside Fetter, how willing they are to suffer is incredible. Um, I mean, they just refuse to bail out of rallies, refuse to lose. What else do I have here? Nothing else. Nothing else on the match. Um, let's see if I have any more notes that I should go to. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, if you look at a lot of these games in the fifth set, if you look at like Djokovic um, serving at 5-4, serving for the match, this is a situation. I don't mean to, to bash on team here, by the way. Um, he's still winning a major in 2020. It's still coming. He's still great. Still incredible. Um, but if you look at 5-4, Djokovic serving, for example, um, Love 15, Djokovic hits an ace. 15 all. Good pressure by Djokovic, but team, forehand error. I scored it as an unforced error at 15 all. 30-15, backhand down the line, error by team. So many backhand errors down the line. So much. 40-15, uh, forehand error. That's, that's three errors with Djokovic trying to close out a major. He's trying to serve out a major. Everyone knows this. What I'm about to say, everyone knows. It sounds like I'm bashing team because I'm comparing him to the greatest players in the sport. But everyone knows that if this were Nadal, yeah, Djokovic can beat Nadal. But Nadal doesn't make three errors with someone trying to serve out a major. If he's done that, correct me. I just, he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't do that. Um, so... That's the development that has not happened yet with Team. Team is so, so good that it's possible that he wins majors before he fully develops uh, the ability to be as consistent as he needs to be slash can be. I want to make the point. Team can be super consistent. First of all, he's done it. When he's entirely fresh physically... I've seen him be incredibly consistent. Um, I've seen it. Also, he has the technique to do it. He has the footwork to do it. He has the fitness to do it. He has all the tools to do it. He, he's just not there in his de development, um, and I think he'll get there. He is not as consistent as he needs to be, and I believe later as his career progresses, and I know he's in his prime, I know he's 26, I'm just saying there will be a point in his career where we will look back on this time and we'll say, oh, team's more consistent now. And by the way, if I go back to team at 24 years old, whoo, he's way more consistent now than he was at 24. That needs to continue. This is going to be a longer Monday match analysis, by the way. Uh, I think after Nadal Medvedev, it was 52 minutes. It's just impossible for me to keep this to 30 minutes after a major final. I get the feeling you guys don't mind. Okay. Now it's time to address some of the controversy. Some of the discourse after the match. The first piece of discourse is that Djokovic used gamesmanship um, to win the match by taking a medical timeout at the end of the third set. Or some people say that Djokovic uh, played possum. And purposely acted like he was out of it and had no energy, only to then pounce. And that that's somehow, uh, that that's unfair. Now, I want to say this. I am not here to tell you how you should feel about Djokovic's behavior. Oh my god, that is the last thing I will ever do. You can feel however you want about Djokovic's behavior. I'm not going to tell you how I feel about Djokovic's behavior. It's not important. I don't think you should care. I don't want to tell you how I feel about Djokovic's behavior. I don't think it matters. Feel however you want about Novak Djokovic, about how it makes you feel that he took a medical timeout. Feel however you want. I don't care. I'm, and I'm not looking to sway your opinion. My job is to refute one 
thing that I am that I have seen uh, in the discourse of this match, and that is that somehow it helped Novak Djokovic that this was a brilliant strategy to get back in the match. He spotted Dominic Team the third set. He was awful in the third set. He gave Team a set. He handed it to him on a silver platter. How would that help Djokovic? He wasn't... Djokovic wasn't fully fixed in the beginning of the fourth set. He nearly got broken. Novak, after the match, said, I, I don't know why. I had no energy. I felt dizzy every time I tossed it up. I, I, I had no energy. I was sapped. That's what he said after the match. Um, for those of you, um, so he doesn't know why. I don't know why. Who knows? But that is to Djokovic's detriment. Not, that is by no means a way of winning a match. Djokovic being rejuvenated, Djokovic getting his energy, just gave him the ability to continue to compete with Dominic Thiem. It did not give him an advantage. It did not give him an edge. It just put him back in a position to compete in the match. He happened to win the competition, right? Um, so again, if you dislike Djokovic's behavior, fine. Uh, that's totally that's totally you. I'm I'm totally fine with that. But to suggest that it helped him win the match did not help him win the match. What are what is in Djokovic's drinks? Let's address that. What is he eating? What is he drinking? First of all, players are drug drug tested. For for any of those claims, I'm not even gonna. Um, I'm not going to even entertain that. Here's what's in the drinks. Likely. Sugar, salt, caffeine. There are natural and legal ways um, to ingest energy. I mean, caffeine and sugar, mainly. Those are the two big ones, right? I'm drinking caffeine right now. If I, um, Serena Williams has asked for espresso. Right, so all these players have physios that make them drinks, and in this case, Djokovic was drinking a ton. The doctor told him he was dehydrated. Um, I, I don't, I don't know, but the, but the point is, I mean, there's so much that you can take legally to help yourself, and Djokovic did that. Uh, in the press conference, Djokovic said magic potion. I think that's a little tone deaf. I don't think Djokovic should. Uh, I think Djokovic would be best served to be more transparent, but I think he's just trying to be humorous and not say what his physio puts in his drinks. But I think he, he could have maybe said some active ingredients. Um, just to help the discourse, I, I would that would be a critique I would have for Djokovic, is, is to be more transparent. And it's a little bit tone deaf to say magic potion, because some people are literally questioning what's in your magic potion. But... All I'll say is that there are a million legal things that will help Djokovic re-energize. Um, second thing is the time violation. Should he have gotten a time violation? Should he have complained about the time violation? Should he have tapped the umpire in the foot? Um, there is a rule that you can't, I believe it is in the rule book, that you can't touch an umpire. Djokovic says he didn't know the rule. I believe him. It was a love tap. Let's be real. We really wanted the umpire to give a code violation for that. That wasn't really very aggressive or threatening. So I'm glad that the umpire didn't um, further insert himself into the match by giving Djokovic a code violation. On the other hand, I don't think there was any per issues with the time violation. I think the problem is the rule. The umpire enforced the rule. Djokovic got upset about it. I think Djokovic was more upset by the fact that he was losing energy by the minute. Um, I don't know what's going on with my hair right now. Um, so I think that the umpire was in the right in both of his decisions, the time violation, but no code violation for the tap on the shoe. That's my opinion. Am I being 
inconsistent with my viewpoints uh, because on one hand I'm saying, oh, well, you're just enforcing the rules. And on the other hand, I'm saying, oh, well, you're, you're not enforcing the rules. Good job. Yeah, I am being a little bit inconsistent, but how I feel as, you know, sometimes I think an umpire needs to do their best if they can to not insert themselves beyond, you know, taking away a serve because the serve clock is at zero. Well, everyone sees it's a zero. What are you going to do? Not call it? The clock's at zero. The The serve clock is bad. Uh, but I don't want to get into that now. We're 40 minutes in and I got to get to comments. The serve clock is bad, but it's it's a lot it's a lot harder to not enforce the serve clock when there's a zero that's displayed to everyone. That you have to enforce. The tap on the shoe, you can you can use some sense there if you're the umpire. And I'm glad the umpire did. Apologies for not using by saying umpire instead of saying his name because I just forget his name. That's bad by me. All right, comment response. Here we go. Um, I know that I didn't update this, but some of the, the likes are are a little bit different now than they were when I took the screenshot. But let's get to uh, these questions. Sherlock says, how is the U.S. Open surface different to this one? What would have happened if this was at the U.S. Open? And one more, how do the rest of the Grand Slams fall, I guess? Roland Garros, Nadal or team, Novak Wimbledon, and U.S. Open's Verev. Um, or is that supposed to say Tsitsipas? That's what that's spelled very interestingly. C i c i p a s for those listening. Um. Okay, great question. The first part. I'm not going to answer the second part. Uh, but the first part, great question. Um, U.S. Open versus Australian Open. This year's Aussie played like New York. It played like the US Open. It was slower. So many players had a lot of difficulty hitting through this court. It helped Dominic Team a ton because Team can hit through any court from anywhere. That's how powerful he is. It helped Team a ton. But Nadal had trouble hitting through the court. Vavrinka had trouble hitting through the court. Um, so players that don't need to hit through the court to be successful, like Zverev, except on his serve, he was aided by that. Zverev's better at the French than he is at Wimbledon because when players can't hit through the court, Zverev's consistency in his uh, fitness and his defense, it's a lot harder to beat. I still think Zverev's best uh, surface is clay. That's just me. I don't know. Tough to say, but I think it's clay, right? But a lot of players had trouble hitting through the court. That's like how it is at New York. Traditionally, it's not what it's like at the Australian Open. The, the second part, and the reason I'm glad this question was asked, is because um, I have an, uh, a source that I cannot name or reveal. But I have a source who I have moderate trust in. I cannot say that uh, I have confirmed this and I want to frame this as a rumor, but I will tell you a rumor that um, could substantiate what I think I've seen and what we've all seen, that the courts were slower this year at the Aussie. Um, supposedly, they were having some troubles with the courts, and they actually had to resurface the courts. Um, the new manufacturer's green set had to resurface the courts um, about seven or eight weeks later than the regular last resurfacing would take place. The older a court gets, the faster it gets. The more it's played on, the faster it gets. So the courts at the Aussie this year were, according to this source, newer, fresher, less worn, therefore slower. So I thought that this played very similar to New York. And I think it helped team a lot. OCS, talk to me about Djokovic's mental strength. Um, no nerves. And in this case, he was the favorite. And one thing that we could have seen... Djokovic has shown great nerve management against Federer and Nadal. 
But this was completely different. This is against the youngin. This is against the player who he's supposed to be. It's not against an all-time great player. Right? Dominic Team is not on their level. So all the pressure is on Djokovic's shoulders. And you just couldn't tell. He came out guns a-blazing, no, no nerves. And in that fifth set, he was so rock solid. He never got tight. He never got sloppy. And he was able to do enough damage control in this match um, to win it. But, but Djokovic's mental strength is, uh, is, of course, a great power. And the way he's able to, the way he's able to feel comfortable under pressure, not only when it comes to nerves, but also in a rally, defending and dealing with team's power, and his ability to trust his steadiness and his his defense and his consistency is very rare, and it's a skill that almost cannot be taught. Aljad Kali says, um, I'm going to have to open my phone for to, to reread this comment. Uh, great work. Thank you. Love the pod. Thank you. Uh, let me just pull up his comment. He says, my question is, Team and Medvedev both suffered heartbreaking losses in the fifth set of the last two Grand Slam finals. Which of the two do you think should be more disappointed about their dis defeat? And given Medvedev is several years younger, but also not nearly the same threat on clay, who do you think ends up with the better overall career? Yeah, that's tough. I mean, I think team is a little bit unfortunate. He's a, he's a late bloomer team. You'd have to say Medvedev at this point. Uh, with the age disparity, team has, has had to deal with the big three and ha still has to do, deal with the big three. But it'll be a larger portion of his career where he's competing with Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal. Medvedev will have most of his career without them. Isn't that the crazy truth? Um, but Medvedev played a lot better than team. Uh, Medvedev required Nadal to dig deep and find his very, very best, which Nadal found in the fifth set. It was a match decided by tactics and skill and not so much fitness, um, which made for a higher quality match, whereas I think team was out of gas and unwilling or unable, excuse me, unable to play consistent by, by the fifth set. So I think team should be more disappointed. I think he played further off his best level. With that being said, team's best level, I think, would have... And then here's the thing. I think team's best level would have won the match. I think Medvedev brought his best level. Could Daniil have played better? Nah, I don't think so. So I think team should be more uh, upset with his performance. Next question from Byron Perry. What do you think of Novak's chances at the French Open this year if Rafa plays team in the semis with Novak on the other side of the draw? Just wondered as you've picked Novak for the last six slams. Yes, I have right now. Um, I mean, it's weird. I, I don't, right now, I mean, I, I pick Nadal on clay at the moment. For, uh, for, for what we've seen, here's the thing. I mean, Nadal doesn't defend well on hard court. He still defends well on clay. And the trouble that we see Nadal have with hitting through the court on his forehand side, that problem just almost never exists on clay. It really only exists on hard court when he has so much less time to load up that forehand. When he has time, when he's on the dirt and he's able to defend and it's a different Rafa Nadal, he still has the mental strength, the compete level, he still has the consistency. And I, I think that Djokovic, in order for him, for him to convince me that he can win the French Open, I think he's the third best player on clay right now. I mean, I think team's better than Djokovic on clay. Um, for, for Djokovic to convince me that he is going to be a threat on clay, or, or not a threat, excuse me, but a favorite on clay over team and Nadal, 
He needs to show me that his forehand is so big and that he can bring that aggression cons uh, consistently that he can hit through a clay court like he was in 2011. If you watch the, the, the matches between Djokovic and Nadal in 2011, oh my God. I mean, this was Nadal running for his life. Nadal could do that. I mean, he's, he's the best defender on clay ever. So Nadal running for his life doesn't mean that he's going to lose. But Djokovic could hit through a clay court. 2011, 2012, I think still 2015, 2016. I think ever since Djokovic's comeback, there's just not quite as much weight on a consistent basis um, coming from his forehand. At times, we've seen it. But I think Djokovic needs to play similar to, like he did at the at the ATP Cup on clay, and then maybe I could consider it. But at the end of the day, Djokovic is better suited uh, for a court that is going to enable him to hit through the court with a little bit more ease than clay. Clay is more skewed towards power, the kind of power that Nadal and team possess over Djokovic. That becomes more important on a slower court. Those are the three questions. I think that's all I'm going to do. Uh, I will be talking to Steve Flink at some point. I'm not exactly sure uh, sure when. Uh, there will be more interviews on this channel. Oh, whoops, didn't mean to do that. There will be more interviews on this channel. Stay tuned for that. We uh, There will be some changes to Monday Match Analysis, some great innovations coming in the near future. Uh, thank you for the Australian Open coverage. Can't wait to get back on a normal um, sleep schedule. And I meant to say thank you for uh, consuming the Australian Open coverage. It has been a blast for these two weeks. Um, let's do it again next year. Hope you enjoy. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time.